And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Uh, excited to be with everyone here today. Thanks for, of course, checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting, and you can listen ad-free on The Athletic. On this episode, we're going to get smarter, because joining me here, Commanders analyst Logan Paulson we ripped through a bunch of different topics on the offensive coordinator search, on what went wrong with the offensive line last year and where where they could find some hope, uh, what he thinks of, of the tight end room, if there's a, a help needed there. We got into the Senior Bowl. That is next starts next week. Logan and I will both be there. He has begun uh, doing film work on a lot of these players. We named a few guys that have stood out to him and uh, some where some of these guys uh, could uh, could potentially help, including on the line and the back seven. So a fun one here. Also, I had a little uh, get to know Logan Paulson segment just a little bit as well. So a fun conversation for sure here on the podcast. And of course, make sure you check out on the Athletic. I had a story up this week about the run game, and if they're really gonna if they're really gonna want to be this run first, run heavy team then they need to go all in and get and make the proper moves to do that independent of whether we think that's the right choice or not. So make sure you check that out as well. All right. Uh, also, you can make sure you follow me on Twitter at Ben Standig. And if I didn't already say Logan on Instagram, he does great film work there. Logan underscore Paulson, P-A-U-L-S-E-N and the number 82. Um, all right. So the commanders are up to five people they've interviewed now for the offensive coordinator position today it was thomas brown the assistant head coach and tight end coach for the rams yesterday eric studesville the running back coach for the dolphins that's on top of three candidates last week um you know i would put these candidates in two buckets the experienced and the non-experienced as being a coordinator i maintain that the, the experience would be where i would be imagine ron rivera is looking that is Pat Shermer, and that is uh, Ken Zampezi, the quarterback coach. Um, Logan shares his views on on these players, or, or these candidates, I should say. Uh, Albert Breer from Sports Illustrated had a note out this week that people around the league seem to think Rivera will hire Zampezi. Um, I don't know that necessarily to be fact, but that certainly wouldn't be surprising. We know Rivera's history of, of coaches, that he brings in people – that he's got familiarity with for the most part. Shermer and Zampezi would both work. Zampezi's already here. Wouldn't be a big change for anybody involved. Uh, Shermer, Rivera knows from his days in Philadelphia under Andy Reid. Shermer's been a head coach twice, an offensive coordinator several times. Both of those guys would be able to jump in without any you know, training wheels and do the job. I think my sense would be 
that's what Rivera is looking for, uh, especially in his fourth year, needing to get a winning record, ownership uncertainty, and all that. Uh, but we will see, hopefully soon, uh, just for all of our sakes, and with the Senior Bowl coming up, perhaps that is a, a deadline for them to consider, but we will see soon enough. Um, uh, we're, we're, we're focused so much on the personnel changes that could be coming here. Uh, one did happen today, but it was on the business side. Will Misselbrook, who is the chief, who was, I should say, the chief creative and digital officer for the commanders, is leaving the organization. He's one of many executives that have left over the last couple of years. It's notable from the standpoint that we talk about this uncertainty with Ron Rivera. What does a new owner, owner mean for his tenure here? Well, the same thing applies on the business side for Jason Wright and all of his staff. And I don't know that necessarily that that's why uh, Misselbrook left, but and certainly many of the other ones left long before we thought Dan Snyder could be selling. I'm only noting that there is more turnover, and the uh, you know now there may be the the factor of uh, what's going to happen here. But in any event, that happened today as well. Um, but as well, if I didn't mention it in the last podcast, Chris Harris, the defensive backs coach, uh, he is leaving the team. We don't know. He has not officially signed. They have not announced anywhere that he has signed with the Titans. That is the belief of where he would land. Um, obviously, that is a big loss in the sense that, you know, the secondary was a big, big improvement last year. Uh, and, and he's got to get a lot of credit for that. And what, you know, what is interesting with, with Harris is the fact that while so many of this, so much of the staff came with Rivera and that he inherited or he kept on two people that were here previously in running back coach Randy Jordan and uh, special teams coordinator Nate Katzer, that the one position coach that he was an outside hire was Chris Harris. And he's been the guy that's gotten uh, coordinator interviews over the last few years that, uh, you know, Tennessee is interested in uh, grabbing him uh, at, at a minimum. He possibly could get a coordinator job elsewhere. But, uh, you know, it's good to have people on your staff that others want. But it is notable that the one guy that is being poached was somebody that was not on the Carolina staff. Take that for what it is worth. All right, let's get to it. Logan Paulson, a really fun one. Uh, by the way, for you Wizards fans out there, uh, I've talked a bunch about the Rui Hachimura trade. Uh, you know, look, um, <laughs> you know, what, 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 what can I tell you other than they have not drafted well in several years, and at some point, that's got to fix, or they've got to bottom out, which the owner has refused to do. So if you're picking in the middle of that sort of late lottery, middle of the first round range, you better get some hits, and they have not done that for the most part. But I'll maybe I'll talk about that later on uh, as well. Uh, we'll see. Um, all right, here we go. My conversation with Logan Paulson here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, we're about to get football smarter probably life smarter too to be honest uh with our next guest here he is of course now uh in my view the go-to football analyst when it comes to the washington commanders he is logan paulson who of course you can find on instagram with his film breakdowns uh logan underscore paulson 82 logan good morning how are you i'm great thanks for having me on man appreciate it you, you are everywhere i can't even turn on somebody else's podcast or video without seeing you did you did you did you did you imagine that you would become like like almost like the face of commander's analysis um <laughs> uh, a, a year or so ago 
Uh, I did not imagine that. And I think it's, um, you know, like my wife always says, like you, you get like anxiety when you're not busy. And I think this is the byproduct of it is I just try to make myself as busy as I can with, um, with these podcasts and, and making sure that I'm on here talking stuff. So, you know, maybe there's a, there's a healthier work-life balance that needs to be achieved, but as of right now, this seems to be going pretty good. So I'm pretty happy about it. Oh, come on. There's no healthy work-life balance. I know people say that, but I mean, it's not, it doesn't seem like it's, I mean, you know, look, obviously there are people out there who seem to be happy in both in both realms and doing all the things they need to do. But I mean, it's hard to do. It's hard to achieve in one if you're not going to put forth not just the time, but the extra time. Because right. like in your case. Look, I mean, a lot of us can just, you know, talk about what we think is going on with this team. But there's also the level of, OK, now let's break down the film and really see what's happening. And then it's not even just that. Then it's looking at what the other team is doing. Then it's looking at we're going to talk about the senior bowls coming up. I know you've been looking at you can't, you can't do all that in spare time. Right. No, it is. Uh, it is tough. And, um, you know, like I was talking to one of my buddies last night about because I have a couple things that I'm doing. I do some personal training. I do some coaching at the local high school. I have my own business that I'm trying to start. And it's like you're always trying to, you know, take from Peter to feed Paul kind of thing. And it's and it it is tough. And then like kind of making sure the family gets their appropriate doing there is always important. Um, but I will say this is better than when I was playing, you know, like when I was playing, I was an absolute lunatic. You know, I'd get up at 5 a.m. I get home at eight o'clock at night and seven or eight o'clock at night. And, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of space for the family in that. So this is uh, compared to that. This is I'm doing pretty good. So. Right. Absolutely. And look, this is, uh, you know, relatively speaking, this isn't a real job. This is, uh, <laughs> you know, th- this, is, uh, this, this is this is this is good stuff. You get to talk football, watch football. Um, right. And it's your passion, clearly. So it's all all good. Well, I again, I appreciate the time. We're going to go through a bunch of different topics with where we're at with the commanders in uh, in this offseason. But I haven't talked to you, I guess, since the season ended. I haven't talked here on the podcast, at least, I guess, just. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously the, the season ended the way that it did with them, um, you know, losing, you know, going 0-2-1 in a three-game stretch before winning mm-hmm. the finale to fall out. Uh, they fire Scott Turner. They're in the process of interviewing for new offensive coordinators. But in terms of, and then obviously the Carson Wentz era effectively ended mm-hmm. with that Cleveland loss. When you look back a little bit now on the season, what for you is the biggest takeaway? Maybe it's even something positive. Maybe you're a believer that, hey, yeah. they're on the right track. But whatever it is, what's the biggest takeaway from you as as you have a little bit of uh, room from the end of the year? I think the biggest thing is like, you know, you look look back at your preseason predictions and all those things and like the optimism that I had coming in with a 10-win season. And then like Las Vegas uh, basically saying they'd be a seven-win team and how Vegas was kind of like right in line with that kind of prediction and I do think when you look kind of take a step back and remove yourself from the day-to-day with the team you see why they're an eight-win team and I think that um, you know we all became aware of some of the deficiencies on the roster obviously they're still managing the quarterback situation Um, offensive line I think was something that underperformed my expectation in the preseason and obviously that led to um, you know, some sh- offensive struggles. Um, it's going to be interesting, again, the thing with the defense and defensive regression year to year as the schedule improves um, and maintaining a high level of play is something that I've kind of been kicking around the last couple of weeks because they they want to, I think they're going to build this team this offseason around 
um, the defense. Uh, they're going to try and be a run first team, like they've said a couple times. Um, but you need a really good defense to do that. So can you continue to improve on the defensive side of the ball to maintain this um, this very effective group in an offseason when historically that doesn't seem like something that's going to be happening? So all those things have been kind of kicking around in my head. Um, I think the thing that sticks out to me kind of as a positive is just how a lot of the young pieces on this roster, <clears throat> excuse me, have developed. I think, ooh, excuse me, like um, Percy Butler, um, DeForest, let me get a little sip of water here. Yeah, catch, your, catch your breath. I don't need you to go, I don't need you to you know, choke yeah. over here. That was crazy. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, you know, like uh, DeForest and how he played uh, Cam Curl. Obviously, he's been pretty consistent over his career. Jamin Davis's evolution, a guy like John Ridgway coming in and playing well. I think there's a lot of good pieces to build around offensively. You know, Jahan, uh, Brian Robinson, the young tight ends are guys that really stick out to me as being exciting pieces. But and I think those those are things that give me optimism moving forward is they've got these nice young pieces that are going to be around for a while that you can build around. But I do think that there are some, you know, roster deficiencies that need to be cleared up. And you mentioned the thing with Scott and kind of how Scott uh, was fired, obviously. And I do think that, you know, obviously how much responsibility needs to go to Scott, I think, is a an interesting question, you know, in hindsight, in terms of, you know, eight quarterbacks in three years, offensive line struggles. Can he actually execute the offense that he wants to execute? There seemed to be a little bit of, uh, you know, just difference in philosophy between him and Ron. So, um, all those things, but he kind of ends up holding the bag. And I think in some ways it's warranted because you're the OC and you're kind of the head of that ship. So all those things. And again, uh, gives you, gives you a little bit of optimism moving forward, but whoever the new OC in, uh, is, is going to have a tough, uh, tough road ahead of them, given the kind of unusual situation that they'll be stepping into. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt. Um, I wrote a story this week on the athletic about, whether you believe the that they should go with this you know, run heavy, run first kind of mentality, if that's what they think, then they need to do it. Because I think last year the problem was so many of their moves seem to be not that. You know, mm. even though Jahan Dotson worked out great, did you need to draft a third wide receiver in 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 the first round? If you're gonna letting Brandon Scherf go, cool, but the way they replaced him was absolutely, you know, didn't work. It seemed to be questionable from from the jump. Even stuff like why bring back JD McKissick if you're claiming that you're you're going to be this like Brian Robinsony type of run offense? Shouldn't your third back be behind him as opposed to being behind the the pass catcher and Antonio Gibson and so on and so on? Um, even the fact that like with the offensive line, if you're going to have Carson Wentz, a guy who's jittery in the pocket. You better make you better make sure you're spending on that offensive line, not just bringing in guys that you know. Um, and so I'm like, look, this go all in and do this. And I do wonder, to your point of Scott Turner, it felt like at times watching Scott Turner that he wanted to show how smart he was, as opposed to here's what we need to do collectively as a team. And I'm not trying to jab on Scott. I think he did a pretty reasonable job considering all the different quarterbacks. But sometimes I did wonder, like, is he trying to just show? all the things he can do in his toolbox rather than stick with the overall team concept, assuming that that was what was being said in real time. Um, and I hope that whatever they do here with the offensive coordinator spot, they get somebody who is, who is in line with Ron's vision, irregardless of whether that vision actually makes sense. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, and I do think, you know, I think that this this run-first approach, I think when you look around the league, especially in 2022, there is a, a propensity for teams with substandard quarterback play to lean into this more. You're going to lean into the defense. You're going to kind of increase defensive variance. So you're going to, you know, I think New York is kind of the archetype for this. You're going to bring a lot of pressure. You're going to try and encourage, encourage turnovers. You're going to try and encourage offensive mistakes while really decreasing offensive variance. So limiting kind of high leverage situations for your quarterback. Um, you know, you're going to be a run first team. You're going to give the quarterback kind of easier, more conservative throws. And you're going to kind of be in these games where you're hoping that the defense can get a turnover, special teams can get a turnover, and your offense isn't going to lose the game for you. And if you look around the NFL landscape at the moment, there's a lot of teams that abide by that, 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 that have made that very successful. So I know like in the press conference, people were freaking out about that. But when you look at the current climate of the NFL, obviously you have the haves, you know, your Joe Burrows, your Patrick Mahomes, your John Allens, these guys who are elite quarterback prospects that can do whatever you need them to do and then you have the had not have not so people trying to kind of rise to that level and one of the ways they've chosen to do that is to run the football more and I think a good example maybe the best example of this is San Francisco with Brock Purdy and everyone says oh you know they're this high falutin offense and they're a very very talented group no doubt but they are built on the principle that they're going to run the football first they're going to limit the number of tough decisions for Brock Purdy they're going to they're going to kind of focus him up and they're going to lean on the defense to win them football games. And that to me is, is kind of the perfect model. That's the Adonis of this, this example here of a run first team. And it's, and I think that's the other thing that's interesting about this run first dynamic is you want the team to run the football and get their number of touches in for the backs. But it's also about understanding the frequency and the sequence of how to get there. So, you know, Kyle's pretty good about throwing the football on first down. He's he's very prolific at that. But the backs always end up with 25, 35 carries kind of as a stable. And people say, why is that? It's because they do good and they, they sustain drives and they get lots of touches for the whole offense. So understanding that dynamic, I think, is important. It's not run first in terms of sequencing. It's run first in terms of prioritizing that as a feature of your offense to limit the variance on the play caller. So I don't think that it's an unusual kind of perspective, especially with a young quarterback. It seems like they want to go with Sam Howell. But I, I do think that they are going to need to make some decisions this offseason from a personnel standpoint to accommodate that. And one of the things I think they need to do kind of first and foremost uh, is upgrade the offensive line, find an offensive tackle, probably move Sam Cosme into guard. Do you draft a center? Uh, do you bring in a free agent center? And do you feel good about Chris Ball being your left guard for the 2023 season? You know, I think he's got a lot of growing to do still. I think he's physically capable of doing it. But those are the types of questions that shape that offense. I mean, look at San Francisco. They've got one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Um, Atlanta, for example, they're a run first team. They had the highest run percentage in the NFL. They have four first round picks on that group. There, there's a reason they're efficient running the football. And it's not because of the back. While Brian Robinson's excellent, it's because of the offensive personnel that they've put in front of them. So I do agree that those decisions are going to be paramount this offseason, especially if that's the offensive uh, philosophy you want to accommodate. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that was I found so frustrating about how they assemble the offensive line this year is it is, other than the quarterback by nature, your offensive line has got to be the thing you invest in, I, I think. I, I say this all the time. The offensive line can make everything else better. A really, really flashy gr group of receivers cannot. It's just not going to be a thing. You can't, you know, it, it doesn't. And even with quarterback, I mean, if you can have the best quarterback, but if you have no time 
then, you know, you're looking more like, you know, I mean, I don't know, not Tom Brady, who, you know, all that. But, like, you know, the, he, didn't have, he didn't have as much time this year, and things went south. And, you know, he's not the only one like that. They're all all quarterbacks to an extent are like that, other than maybe, like, Mahomes. But um, the fact that they were so uh, negligent, I'll say, in terms of assembling that line, you know, it's the first time in 12 years they did not have a pro bowler on there. And I, I didn't have an issue with them letting Brandon and Sheriff go for a variety of reasons, but what what what's the linchpin? Who is the guy that you can kind of build around? And and, and look, injuries happen. You know, four centers. It's not that wasn't by choice, right? You know, things like that. So, but you 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 look at all the tape. You, you do all the thinking and talking about this stuff. What ultimately did happen on the offensive line? Like, where did it go wrong? Because that's you know. At least with quarterback, there were points this year where Heineke, you know, was 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 doing his thing and even went early on. But the offensive line just felt like it never really found its it, it its way. So what what happened on the line this year? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question, and I think it kind of maybe speaks to informs a perspective that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge. And I do think that you bring in a guy like. Um, you know, Norwell and you bring a guy like Turner, older guys, bigger body guys. And maybe that indicates that they were going to run the football more than they than they ended up doing. You know, that these guys who are kind of, you know, in the uh, in the twilight of their careers, like they are big dudes. They can move people off the ball and they're not great pass protectors anymore. You know, they've lost kind of that twitchy athleticism that makes good pass protectors. And so maybe that to me is is an indication of where they wanted to go because if you look at like New York the New York Giants for example, their offensive line was below average this whole season, but you don't really hear about it that much because of how they were able to kind of cultivate a running attack be very conservative with with regards to drop back passing. And maybe that's the approach. Maybe that little snapshot of the offensive line is an indication of what they thought they were going to be doing from an offensive standpoint, because, you know, there's a lot of people that kind of are of the ilk or of the mindset that you really don't need an elite offensive line. You need an average offensive line. You need an average offensive line that allows you to execute your offense. And, uh, you know, everyone talks about um, San Francisco and they do have some very talented players on that group. But also Kyle does a really good job of insulating them. And he I think his goal is to keep it under 15 dropbacks a game, which is very challenging to do. And if you look at Washington, for example, it's almost the opposite of that. It's like run, run, drop back, pass in a third and long situation. At least that's what it was last year. And that's a, that's a situation that's not very tenable, even for the most elite offensive lines. Look at Atlanta. I think that's a great example. Caleb McGarry, everyone thought he was going to be out of the league after this year. And he has the highest, he's the highest graded right tackle and run grade this year because they kind of spoke to his skill set and what he does very well. So I do think that as much as people want to kind of crush the offensive line, I do think that that kind of clash of philosophy between, you know, apparently, I don't know for sure, apparently between Scott and Ron, um, you know, in terms of what this offensive identity was going to be, I think shows up in that type of personnel decision. So, um, you know, again, I don't know that this is me just kind of talking at the moment, but I do think that that's something interesting to kind of look at is say these personnel moves along the offensive line, they kind of fit a group that's going to run the football first, second, and third then why was there this kind of discrepancy, this kind of wire crossing with Scott where they came out in the first two games against Jacksonville, Detroit, trying to throw the football all over the yard. And, you know, everyone says, well, what about this Jahan pick? I'm of the mindset you always need good skill position players. You always are looking for that second wide receiver. And if you look at the year prior, I do think it's important to acknowledge that Curtis Samuel was out the whole year with an adductor injury. And they literally had Terry and 
Cam Sims. And as much as I love Cam Sims and I respect his game, he's not a true number two in the NFL. So you needed to address that issue. And why not address that with a very good football player in Jahan Dotson? So I think that's all important to kind of think about. And as much as people want to dictate the narrative as being X, I could have easily been why, you know, just because just because of these handful of decisions. And so, again, I don't know. I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate here. But I do think those are important distinctions to acknowledge when looking at the offensive line and their role this last season. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, no, I hear it. Let's just stay with Jahan for a second. Kudos to to, to, to the front office for that pick, right? Sure. A lot of people were knocking it. He They drafted him higher than expectations and he clearly, from the moment he showed up, Showed he was ready to go. He's, you know, maybe the best route runner on the team already. All that stuff. Um, but when you have, when you, you know, you, they knew they were going to give Terry an extension, right? They already gave Samuel a deal. And you're right. We didn't, he was coming off an injury plague year to say the least. So you don't know for sure, but they're the ones who know the real info. And, you know, you have to assume he's going to be ready, I guess. So if you have those three guys, you can't play them sparingly. You have to play them a, a large amount of the game to justify the investment, both in terms of pick and money. Therefore, that means a lot of three receiver sets. So, um, you know, the, the, and then that means, okay, so now we're either going to go with one running back and one tight end or two running backs or two tight, whatever it is. And that's the part where I start then to, to wonder, because I, I agree. I think they wanted to be a run first run heavy kind of a team. The year before the four game winning streak, I, I talked about this a lot in the offseason, last offseason, that that was their best stretch, but Gibson just wasn't consistent enough to do that week in, week out. They needed something else. And I was talking about that they were going to get somebody. But that said, if you're going with this three receiver set a lot, then you probably have to go with like one tight end. And that doesn't necessarily bode well 
for the run game. And ne- none of those receivers, they may be willing blockers, but you know they're all relatively small guys. It's not like if one of them was Cam Sims or a Cam Sims body type, that might be different, but they're not. Uh, so that that's the part where like I, I get confused. It's like, okay, I get why you make the pick, but then how does that mesh to doing these other things? Right. I think that's, that is a compelling point. I, I do think that when you talk to, you know, there, there's this kind of conventional wisdom that you need to, if you want to run the football, you need to get in big personnel and you know, have a fullback and tight ends and guys that are kind of of a different, you know, mindset on the field. But when you talk to offensive linemen, specifically like centers, for example, it becomes easier to target and identify runs when you're in 11 personnel because there's less people in the box. So it's instead of saying, is this the safety in the box? Is he at 10 yards? Is he at eight? It's just like, oh, here's a six-man box, seven-man box. That's the mic point. We're going to target this guy in the run. Let's go get it. And so a lot of teams have a lot of success running out of lighter personnel groupings. And I think that you can be a very effective running team. Like I just did a little bit of a breakdown on Greg Roman for our podcast, Craig and I's podcast. And one of the things that surprised me is how much 11 personnel they were in. Now, that is a different situation entirely because their 11 personnel is actually like a version of 13 personnel. They have a running quarterback, but the defense is responding to them with nickel personnel. And a big reason you do that is because you get less effective run players on the field. And again, you don't lose your ability to throw the football. Now, I understand that there you want to, you know, get those tight ends on the field and do some different stuff. And I think I would just call attention to like San Francisco, like they have a lot of playmakers of a very different skill set and they find creative ways to get them on the field. Kansas City is another great example. They do a lot of creative runs out of 11 personnel. Can they get into 21, 22 personnel? Absolutely. They can do that. But I think that just because you have three wide receivers on the field, doesn't mean you can't run the football and can't be a run first team. Now you have to be a little bit more creative and challenge yourself a little bit more. And I think that is where the criticism becomes more real is like how creative were, was this offensive staff in getting those guys on the field together and executing the division of what you want to do. Cause I remember when I was with Kyle, like he'd have the receivers do some kind of down and dirty, nasty stuff. And if they can't, if they couldn't do that, he'd find a creative way to, to execute the intent of the run with that personnel in the field. So I would just say that, um, you know, to me, that is more, I don't think having three wide receivers on the field precludes you from running the football. I do think that how you get to those runs is something that maybe you could look at more critically this off season. And, and to you, and, and I, and I hear you, I, to, to use your San Francisco uh, point, obviously it's an extreme to say, well, it makes life a lot easier to go, um, with one tight end or with uh, three receivers when you have Trent Williams at, true. At, at one tackle and then even having George Kittle as the tight end, you know, uh, one of the best all around tight ends in football, Washington's tight end situation. Um, you know, I, I hate to knock the tight ends talking to you, but this was not the the best year for Washington's uh, t- tight end group. Mm-hmm. And so that's the part where I'm like, okay, Maybe from a long-term vision in two years when they uh, 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 change some people around, maybe that's one thing. But right now, based on the team, it, it, you know, they just didn't have that. Logan Thomas, I don't, you know, I'll leave it up to you to say fair or not, but PFF graded him as like the lowest, bl- the, the worst blocking tight end among the top mm-hmm. 50 guys in the league or things like that. So that's the part where like I was just like, okay, the, uh, uh, how do these things um, t- connect? So, So let me ask you this. Uh, they're going to have free agency in the draft. So presumably they will add some pieces 
to this offensive line group. Right now, the way I would look at it is, other than Charles Leno at left tackle, who's a totally solid player, had some had some struggles here and there at times, but by and large, he's a solid guy, I think. Uh, the, all the other spots seem to be pretty open. As you see, as a guy who has broken down the tape, who's talked, you know, talked to people and stuff, wh- what what would you say right now on your on your board is here's the guys who I think will should start, and here's mm. where I think they got to go out and find some new help. Yeah, I think um, I think there's there's a strong push to get Sam Cosme to play right guard, and um, I think so. It'd be Leno. I think left guard's a question mark. I think Chris Paul is a guy that could potentially move into that role, depending on how he develops this offseason. Obviously, I think center they would like to make a move. I think Wes Schweitzer did a great job, but he's a free agent. Um, so either you find a way to extend him or you make a decision in free agency, or obviously you draft somebody. So really by that logic, it's Leno, uh, Leno at left tackle, Cosme at right guard. And there's three spots that need to be kind of established, I suppose. You know, I think, um, I think Norwell, as much as people um, kind of got after him, I, I have to double check this, but there was a point in the season where he was grading better than Brandon Sheriff based on PFF's metrics. So, I think a lot of people kind of used him as a punching bag, but he didn't play bad football. Um, But if you can elevate kind of, you know, maybe get a a new center, get another right tackle, you could maybe survive the season with a guy like Norwell in there if you needed to. So those are the the decisions that need to be made. But I think at a minimum, you need two guys. And it just depends on which two guys um, you're looking at. And so those are some some interesting questions uh, for sure. But I I do think that is the most interesting and probably significant personnel decision outside of the Sam Howell thing that for this offseason. Yeah. I mean, they've got to use, I mean, you know, I don't know, you know, it, it feels like the adjustment from offensive linemen coming from college to pros is getting steeper over time. Yeah. It used to always be, especially in the early rounds, like almost plug and play to a degree. Right now it feels like because it's more of an adjustment. Um, so maybe that's maybe you know getting two rookies is not ideal, but you know that that would seem to be the way to go unless they're willing to spend a, a fair amount of money in free agency, which could be complicated depending on what they do with Deron Payne and so on. Uh, quickly on Chris Paul, obviously we didn't see him play much; he only played in the last game. Yeah. But you know, sometimes I want to believe when Ron is saying that somebody is really you hear a lot. Of, it says a lot of good things about them, and sometimes I'm like, I don't know what to make of it. He clearly is a guy that seems to be pretty talented. Clearly, in my view, as a and I'm saying this as a guy who's out of shape, like he needs to get in some better football shape, I would say. Um, but what's your sense of him? Like how close can you even tell like how close he actually might be, or what is the thing that they need to see him for him this offseason to say, okay, yeah, he can he can be our starter. So I do think Chris Paul has matured and grown as a player from the preseason this year to the game against Dallas. Um, I think he did some really good things in the Dallas game. I think the thing is just playing faster and playing with more confidence. You know, there's times where he's, you know, the last guy off the snap. He's being very deliberate with his footwork. And then there's also times where you see his tremendous power and strength and his ability to uncoil his hips and really move people off the spot. So obviously the high upside athletic potential uh, you know, that you saw in last year's evaluation is there. It's just about can he become more consistent? Can the game slow down for him? And, you know, to be fair to him, he hadn't played football in 17 weeks, so he's going to look a little bit sluggish in a game situation. But I think overall, like, 
the so when you're doing an evaluation, this is maybe getting a little off topic. When you're doing an evaluation from college to the NFL, you have to have this acknowledgement that the college game is different than the NFL game. And so you're really doing a projection of how this player's athletic traits will project to the NFL. And with a guy like Chris Paul, his strength and his athleticism project very nicely. The thing that was always a question with him was his technical acumen and can he develop that? And the good thing about technical acumen is that you can often develop and cultivate that. The question is, can he develop it quick enough to be your starter at left guard for next year? And I think he showed you a nice progression and he showed you some growth and maturity, which is always important. But to me, that's a little it's a little bit risky to kind of say he's going to be the starter for next year. I do think if you're going to do that, you need to have someone that you like playing swing guard, a guy that could take over for that role if if, if it doesn't work out. Um, but, uh, you know, he's a guy that from an athletic strength standpoint is definitely physically capable of doing it. And, you know, I, I told you I'm doing the senior bowl stuff and going through the offensive linemen. And there are certain guys where you watch him and you're like, you just, I don't think you can do it at the next level. You know, you could be a backup and kind of in a pinch, but you can't start down to down because of some physical trait that you seem to be lacking. So I don't think Chris has that issue. It's just about, can he grow up in an off season? And I've seen guys do it and it's awesome and it's really exciting. And his upside is very, very high, but it is a little bit of a gamble. And I, I think to Ron's credit, you know, say what you want about Ron, like he's, he's done a good job of trusting young players development and guys have come around for him in a nice way, even in an off season. So, you know, last year, everyone said, Oh, they need to go out and get a linebacker. And then Jamin Davis basically, at least through the second half of the year, looks like he could have been at the Pro Bowl. You know what I mean? Like it's, and that is a testament to Ron for trusting that process. The Forest is the same way. You know, finding a guy like John, like there's some interesting kind of developmental trends here with Ron that I think are compelling. But um, you know that that does make me a little bit nervous. But then again, I'm not seeing him and you know seeing how he's being coached every single day. So yeah, I mean, and and you know I always point out to people you can't solve realistically every problem in an off season. And so if they do come back with, let's just say for argument's sake, they draft a right tackle in the first round, they draft a center in the day two or something. Mm. If that means, okay, you do that and you come back with, with Norwell. Okay. I, I mean, and I just looked it up really quick. PFF's overall grades for the year. They had Norwell 50th among guards, but Scherf is 45. So yeah. If, so if, pretty if close. If, yeah. If we're going to use PFF as a, as an indicator, um, pretty close there uh, Norwell was ahead of him as a run blocker and then flip you know for pass blocking um you know that could be it could be reasonable um especially if you really are you know going in with the run you know with the run heavy situation or then you know mm-hmm. um the, the, then fair fair enough all right let, let's get off the offensive line with more <laughs> offensive line talk than anybody you know, needs to hear um the offensive <laughs> coordinator situation yeah yeah so as of while you and I were just talking, they just made it official that they're interviewing uh, Thomas Brown today. Mm-hmm. He's the tight end coach slash assistant head coach from the Rams. They've already interviewed Pat Shermer. They've already interviewed uh, Charles London, the quarterback coach from the Falcons. Eric Studesville, I think I'm saying that right, the yeah. uh, running back coach for the Dolphins. And, of course, Ken Zampezi, the current quarterback coach here. Uh we can get into this, those individuals in a moment, but broadly, when you look at where this team is at, we just discussed, you've got questions on the offensive line for now, but you've got these dynamic receivers. You've got two really good running backs. Um, you've got the rookie, well, quasi-rookie and Sam Howell. 
for you based on what you've seen and what they have and maybe even just what you would desire. What type of offensive coordinator are you looking at? And and for the purposes of this, we don't have to worry about the fact that the ownership situation is potentially clouding this because we don't know, you know, ha, you know we don't know what the future is going to hold and things like that. But for you, like what type of offensive coordinator do you think would make the most sense for what pieces they actually have here? Well, I think, I don't know. I'm always partial to a, a younger guy, a guy that again is from that Kyle Shanahan tree. And I think one of the reasons I say that is because they do an excellent job of really pushing themselves to be innovative. I think you look at Sean, you look at Matt LaFleur, you look at Mike McDaniel, you look at um, Kevin O'Connell, like all those guys are from that tree and they're doing innovative stuff from an offensive side, from the offensive side of the ball. They know how to insulate the quarterback. They know how to insulate, insulate the offensive line. I don't think any of those guys, I think, you know, you mentioned Thomas Brown. He's from that tree. I don't think Ron is looking for a guy like Thomas Brown. And what I mean by that is, I think Ron is looking for someone with more experience as a play caller, because as much as you want to say that the ownership decision, uh, we, we got to kind of put that aside. Like it is a huge factor. You're going to be, you're yeah. going to be looking for someone of a very specific type that is willing to kind of take a gamble on themselves for a year. And, um, and I think you, for that type of parameter, you need someone who's called plays before. So you're not going to kind of do a quote unquote retread with a, with a first time offensive coordinator, like they did with Scott and I think Thomas Brown and uh, London would fall into that bag. So I think you're looking in a different direction. You're looking for someone with more experience. And again, like I, I like Studesville's resume a lot. I think he's got a very, um, a resume that he's been around some very unique offenses. He's stuck around on staffs. People obviously like him. He's got some play calling experience. Um, he's been in Miami with, uh, with, Mike McDaniel, he was in Denver with um, Gary Kubiak, who's kind of the father of the Kyle Shanahan tree. He's, you know, the direct disciple of Mike Shanahan. And then Kyle worked for him when he was in Houston. So obviously there's some some very talented people. Jim Trestle's another guy that comes to mind that's in his tree. So very, very kind of illustrious tree, uh, but never had an opportunity to kind of be the full-time OC. He has called plays. But I do like the offensive background. I do like where he's been. And obviously, I've never met him. But the fact that he's the assistant offensive, he's the assistant coach in Miami, I think, speaks to how people like him. Um, although, and that all that being said, I do think the guy who's probably got the inside track is Pat Schumer. I think, um, you know, his relationship with Ron, um, you know, his history of kind of developing young quarterbacks, the fact that he's a very, very experienced play caller in the style of offense that Ron wants to be a part of and in a style of offense that Ron's familiar with, you know, obviously uh, Schumer's a kind of a direct disciple of Andy Reed and Andy Reed has this kind of, um, you know, I think this is a very good way of articulating it. So Kyle marries runs to pass concepts at a high level. Um, Andy Reed marries pass cuts, pass concepts to pass concepts very well. So he kind of runs pass X to set up pass Y and does a really good job of that. Schumer is of that kind of quality and he's got experience doing that. And so while the run game does not marry directly to the pass game in the same way it does from a Kyle Shanahan tree, he's Ron is familiar with this type of offense and this type of play caller. And I think um, their experience together just means like he's got the inside track for it as much, you know, inside track for it. Yeah. I, I mean, the, of the five candidates, the two that I would say have a, the most realistic shot would be, Shermer and Zampezi because they have right. done the job before and you know putting back the reality of the situation into this 
you know, with a new owner potentially coming. And even if not, I'm not trying to give anyone a heart attack with that. I'm just saying, you know, you never know. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the, you know, Ron's going to need to get a winning season here. You would think, I mean, he hasn't yeah. had one yet. So the idea of going to an offensive coordinator, who's going to have some level of training wheels on top of the fact that you have a quarterback in Sam Howell, who's, you know, it, it, I don't, I still don't completely buy that. He's going to be the starter in week one, but okay. Even if you're considering it, you need to get somebody else. You, you know, you need to have somebody who you can turn the offense over, over and they know how to do all the, all the stuff. Um, you mentioned Shermer and from an outside hire perspective, that would make some sense. Um, Albert Breer in a, Sports Illustrated yesterday, just a quick note, said from what he's hearing, a lot of people think Zampezi would get it, and that would make sense from a Ron perspective as well. Some people will say, oh, come on. Why, why are you taking the quarterback coach? You, you need to sh- shake up the whole offense. Besides, when he was the OC at Cincinnati, that didn't work so well. On the other hand, he is here. It would be it would add some familiarity. How, how, can, how do you tell how good – this is a broader question. How can anybody ever tell how an offense, how an assistant, with if they're good or bad when they're the assistant versus when they then get elevated to whatever that next job is, the coordinator or the coach? How can some people like to make judgments that they're good or bad or whatever? How can you even tell until they have that job? Do you not? I mean, because you're a football guy, do you know? Um, I think the best way is just to be in the building with them. Like there's certain guys that I was with that you knew like from the jump that they were going to be special coaches. Like, so like something, Mc- that, something that 99% of the people who are on Twitter and elsewhere will, will not be able to do. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right? okay. yeah. Yeah. So like Sean, like when you're with him in the building, like, you know, you know, cause he has a very comprehensive understanding of the offense. He's a good communicator. He's a good teacher. He knows how to motivate. I mean, I just remember Sean when he was in the building, literally knowing every single employee's name. I'm not talking about coaches. I'm talking about everyone in HR, all the janitors, all the cooks, all the cleaning people. Like he knew everybody's name and he would greet them that way. And you just felt like, man, that is a guy who is serious about, you know, the professionalism of the position and he's going to elevate. Wes Phillips was another guy like that. Again, great communicator, great teacher. Um, also kind of had this professional air about him. Um, Frank Smith, the guy that is now the assistant OC in Miami that I was with in Chicago, the, the, the way his brain works and the way he relates to people, again, that's evident. And so um, it, with this staff, it's particularly hard to do that because it's fairly well documented that Ron doesn't like his um, assistants talking to the media or, or fraternizing with the media. So it's hard to get a bead on that. Um, I personally think that... Um, you know, if, if I was Ron, I'd probably look for an outside hire just to kind of stir the pot a little bit, kind of motivate the guys in a different way. Because I do think if you kind of stay in house, it feels very like the same, the same. And I understand there's a motivation to keep it the same as much as possible for a guy like Sam Howell. But I also think you want guys to feel excited about something new and something different. And I'm not sure you get that with a Zampezi hire. That's not an indictment of Zampezi. I think he's a, he's a bright guy when I've had the opportunity to talk to him. Uh, but I, I do wonder if if they just need something, a, a different spark in the building to kind of motivate and keep that offense fresh. Uh, because I do think there was, as much as there was criticisms of Scott as a play caller, I think in some of those criticisms near the end of the year, there's criticisms of the offense as a whole. So can you kind of, you know, subvert that expectation with Zampezi, or do you need to bring somebody new? And those are things that 
I, I'm sure Ron's thinking about and some things I just want the listeners to think about as well. If they bring in an outside hire in Shermer, sometimes the coordinator will therefore want to bring some of his own yes. people in. That would therefore potentially mean other changes. Does that change anything from your view of, okay, if we bring, if we elevate Dan Pizzi, you'd I guess you'd have to rehire quarterback coach maybe you'll be in the mix for that who knows um uh you know so we one change versus i and maybe not maybe Shermer doesn't but i would imagine a coordinator would want some of his own guys does that change anything from your perspective or is that not 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 enough of a of a deal um i mean it does change i think you want to keep some level of consistency i think ron is looking to keep some level of consistency i think that's really important to him um However, I do think that if I'm an offensive coordinator and I'm coming in like Shermer, like I can keep some of the staff intact, but I'm going to want to bring some pieces in that I trust to get this executed. Um, guys that help that speak my language that can get stuff communicated. And the first spot that I would think of is like offensive line coach, you know, and that's not, an, again, that's not an indictment of Matskow. It's just kind of how that, that goes, you know, traditionally in the offensive hierarchy, you have two, offensive coordinators and people say what do you mean by that you treat and you pay your offensive line coach like an offensive coordinator because they do so much from a protection and run game standpoint and if you're bringing in your offense even if it's the same offense that you've that that a very similar offense to what Washington ran last year you're going to want somebody in that position that you trust emphatically so I don't know maybe Shermer's worked with Matt Scott before maybe I know that him and Ron have a relationship but um yeah, those are things that I would just kind of keep an eye on if they do go an outside hire, because that that again, that O line position is so critical, um, and especially given the philosophy that they want to embrace. Like, if you're going to be successful, you need someone that you that you really trust there. And again, that's not that's not saying Matt Scow hasn't done a good job or anything like that. It's just those those personal relationships on the offensive staff are very very important. Last offensive question, then we'll go to some other stuff. The tight end room. Uh, not very, not utilized particularly a lot this year. At least in the in the passing game, they only caught sixty passes, which was near the bottom of of the league. And you know, it was a pretty young group. Obviously, John Bates' second year, and you had Cole Turner and Armani Rogers, rookies. Or Armani Rogers didn't even play the position the year before in college. Uh, and then you had Logan Thomas coming off of the ACL. Uh, you know, still showed some flashes of the Logan Thomas we know, but like I mentioned before, it seemed to struggle in the blocking and it just never really quite clicked do you think that they have enough there if they just sort of brought back that four that that works for you or do you think that that's a position where you've got to go out and make perhaps uh, uh some addition maybe even more of a significant one no i don't think you need to make any any uh, changes there i think i think it's because of the youth of the room and i think it's because of the uh, development that you know i expect that group to make and i think the staff expects that group to make i think when you look at armani like he is He's very, very talented, and it's a little surprising that he didn't get more targets in the past game. I know they kind of found ways to get him screens and reverses and different type of opportunities uh, to touch the football, but you know he's 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 physically very gifted. So is Cole Turner, and I and I really think that that group with those two young guys and then a guy like Curtis Hodges on practice squad, um, that could be a very special group. And, and then throw John Bates in the mix, and that is a very dynamic very athletic group that again, I think just needs to be given the opportunity. If you look at Logan Thomas this year, the difference between this year and his uh, 2020 season is just opportunity, quite frankly, like he's just not getting targets. And 
as much as that's frustrating, like he's not a blocking tight end, you know, like he's a big guy, but he's, that's not what he wants to major in. That's not what he should be majoring in. He needed to get more targets and more touches. And I think that's another criticism that you could potentially levy against Scott is that his, he didn't seem to be able to diversify where the ball was going and get guys like Logan opportunities. I mean, specifically in the red zone, I know a lot of people were very, um, frustrated with that and and i'm sure logan was too based on his comments and his wife's comments after that sam 48 article came out um so I, but i do think that that group is probably fine i don't think you need to make a big investment there um at all i mean if you want to bring in some depth pieces for camp i wouldn't be surprised if they did that but definitely not someone in the draft and i, I would assume no big free agency uh acquisitions and but again like that's where the offensive coordinator comes in too like what like, what is he comfortable with? Is it comfortable with two blocking tight ends? Because if that's the case, he's going to go out and find somebody who's a better blocker than they have on the roster. So finding those pieces and who the OC is, again, it informs that decision. But for my for my money, like, they're, they're plenty talented. It's just about how you get them their opportunities. All right. Before we get to uh, some defense stuff and, and uh, the senior ball, I'm just going to spring on you uh, a, a palate cleanser here. I used to ask people, like, random – uh, questions to get to know them better. So we're just going to spring that on you now, and you just uh, you know you'll just roll that. Who was your favorite athlete growing up? Oh my gosh, who was my favorite athlete growing up? That is a good question. The guy from a football standpoint that I looked up to the most was probably Jerry Rice. I just liked the way he worked and his approach. Um, you know, as a fan, I really liked Mike Allstott as a football player. I, I love the way he ran the football. Um, Kobe Bryant being from LA, Kobe Bryant and Shaq were big influences on, you know, my upbringing. Cause like they, I was when the Lakers were absolutely balling and yeah. everyone had their Laker flags on their car. So I'd say probably one of those guys uh, I'm trying to think, Oh, another guy, this is going to be weird is like Lance Armstrong. Um, this was before the steroid thing became prevalent, but just how dominant he was on that bike, you know, my, my family and I, we would watch the tour de France every summer and watch Lance Armstrong and, um, you know, like the amount of work that he put into that, you know, irrespective of the PEDs, I thought was always fantastic. So I always admired guys that were able to overcome adversity and, um, just work their faces off. And all those guys that I mentioned did that. Okay. Uh, this past summer, I uh, went to uh, L.A. for the second year in a row, and I made a point this year of going to the UCLA campus because I had always heard <laughs> it was so cool. Now, of course, I'm going in the summer, so that's not bustling with activity. As a student, what was the best thing about going to UCLA? And I'm not, you know, talking about get to play in the Rose Bowl. I mean, like you're, you know, you're you're, you're having fun. And, and, and for people who have been there, UCLA, it's a pretty campus, but it's like right in downtown. It's yeah. like not. It's it's not out in the burbs or anywhere. It's like right by downtown LA, basically. I mean, I think that's what's great about it. It's like you're you're an hour from skiing. You're thirty minutes from the beach. You could go to like you know a Hollywood club. You know you could you like anything you want to do is there. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's hard to get good football players out of UCLA because there's so many different things there. Uh, to distract them. Um, unfortunately, I didn't take advantage of all of those things when I was there because I was pretty uh, dialed in on the football. But um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful campus. And anybody who's thinking about going there, I would like a thousand percent recommend it. It's got a great basketball culture. It's a beautiful campus, uh, great student housing arrangements. Like yeah, I, lo I loved my time at UCLA, even if I didn't get to experience all the glory that was, uh, you know, being in downtown LA in your 20s. Who was the most like famous like Hollywood like person that you actually got to meet or even like you know hang out with a little bit? 
um you know obviously jordan love and uh russell westbrook were there and so i'd go into the wooden which is like the student center kevin, we mean kevin love uh kevin love yeah sorry I said yeah. Jordan love. yeah kevin love and um but we play basketball together so they were pretty famous at the time and that was a pretty big deal like kevin love was uh like he had his own apartment off campus you know like in a downtown high rise because he was such i a love kevin love at ucla i yeah. like that was my i really really liked him a lot yeah, and Russell Westbrook was an absolute animal. You know, I just remember him going because he doesn't, he's kind of unassuming. And so he'd go into the wooden and uh, people wouldn't really know who he was. And he would just be like throwing down these savage dunks on these kids, you know, who were in frats and stuff. And I was just like, this guy's an animal. So those, those guys were pretty big time at UCLA when I was there. Um, yeah, I'd say those were the two biggest like sports people that I, that I knew when I was uh, in LA. But like no, like you know, no, like hang out with DiCaprio oh. at the Chateau Marmont or something <laughs> like that. Um, no, 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 no. I don't think I ever bumped in anybody like that. No. All right, fair enough. Uh, la- last random question: You are you love breaking down film. If you mm-hmm. could break down film with anybody, oh, who would you want to actually break down film with, and why? That's a good question. Um, obviously, like a guy that comes to mind is Kyle, just to just to have like an hour just to talk with him. Andy Reid's another one that I think sticks out because he that offense and what he does there is is really special. So if there's any secret sauce, I'd like to be privy to that. And then um, from a de- defensive standpoint, I think I'd like to talk to Wink Martindale right now just because he's doing some innovative stuff from a blitz standpoint and obviously has a very high level understanding of the game. And just to kind of get that perspective would be would be pretty dang cool. So those those are my three guys. I'm gonna say, gotcha. All right, I, I know I'm probably running out of time with with, with you here. Uh, Senior Bowl, you've been putting in a lot of uh, time and effort into in, into looking at that. I'll be there next week. Are you going? Yeah, I'll be down there. Are you gonna be down there? I will be. Oh, nice. We should get. Uh, what do they have? What do they do in Mobile? Like uh, chicken fried steak or something like that? Is that what is the thing? Sure. <laughs> sounds sounds about right. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. I'm, I'm. Yeah. I'm excited. Um. So give me just give me a couple guys. You you know you obviously you know you're you're trying you're you're catching up from your day job. W- what stands out to you about uh, anybody you've you've seen any position any anybody at all? Yeah. So I think the thing about the Senior Bowl this year is they've got a kind of a cool group. I've I've done offensive tackles and centers so far, and I'm working my way through the guards right now. But a guy like Jalen Duncan out of Maryland, he's six six three hundred twenty pounds, and he is an absolute freak he wears number 71 and it kind of reminds me athletically of like trent williams you know like he athletically can do whatever you want him to do um he's going to be there and the thing that kind of marred his tape at maryland was he was just wildly inconsistent from play to play one play you'd see him just look like the second coming of you know the next great hall of fame tackle and then the play after that you'd see him get you know uh get ducked by an edge rusher who wasn't very good for a pressure and you're like man what what is the difference here so he's the guy in my opinion of the offensive line class that's going to be there that's like the lottery ticket you know uh very boomer bust in terms of production in college but a guy that gets me really excited another guy is uh darnell wright out of tennessee's big man six six three hundred thirty five pounds with great feet and literally had the best game against the number one defensive player in this year's draft from Alabama Anderson and look like that dude. 
And then Tyler Steen from Alabama is another guy that I think is a lot, not on a lot of people's radar, but when you watch his film, he's like a classic Alabama tackle, big, athletic, nasty. And so I'm really excited to see him at the, at the Senior Bowl. And then just one more name for fun, just because he's a freak, is Dewan Jones from Ohio State. He's 6'8", 350 is probably a kind number to him, but a guy who's gigantic and can play some really good football. So those are some four four offensive linemen I, that I think um, you should keep your eye on this week at the Senior Bowl. And I think if I think the cool thing about that group is one of those guys will be there when you pick in the second round. So, for example, if you want to go DB, which is what I think they'll probably end up doing, this is a very cornerback-heavy top heavy draft this year so i think 16 will probably be a corner and then i think with that second pick uh in the second round you probably go offensive lineman and i think one of those guys will be available and it's just about whether they like them enough and they can develop them so it's interesting like all the mocks i've seen so far including the one put out by our guy dane brugler have largely almost all gone cornerback um and i you know i'm i'm uh, people know I, I do the mock drafts i'm not there yet remotely but a lot of it always right. comes down to strengths and weaknesses of a class not even so much of like right. what the team needs but like if you know oh well i can't have this cornerback slide 10 more picks this team kind of needs one let's go so okay washington does need a corner um i, I was gonna ask you with their back seven cole holcomb's a free agent mm-hmm. the the third corner job i guess is fairly open they clearly haven't viewed danny johnson as that guy but he every time he plays he plays well but probably not a starter so i was gonna ask you like what what do you think they need uh to, to do and if it is a corner is it an outside corner with st Juice going back inside is it a slot guy what what what, what are you kind of seeing there what i think is that you probably again like this is you know what's the date today the 25th so a lot of time yet to still kind of make some of these decisions but i do think you leave benjamin st Juice outside and you're, you're looking for someone to compete uh if not replace Kendall Fuller on the outside and see if you can bump Kendall Fuller back into the slot I think um you know he's still a he's still got a lot of good football in him Kendall but I think he needs to I don't say make a position change but you know think about moving back inside and I think that would kind of flesh out that group in a nice way and there are some very talented long-armed quick-footed ball hawking guys in this like there are a ton of them like every single mock draft that i've looked at every single thing that i've read about the cornerback class this year i just can't believe how deep like the top 12 guys are probably that's probably an exaggeration probably eight guys you know so there's a lot of really talented guys that have been very productive in college so i think you know you mentioned how like that kind of determines who you pick sometimes is how deep that is and i think at 16 there's just going to be too good of a football player that plays outside corner to pass up on it um uh, I think another interesting one is safety. That feels like a later round addition just because I think that they are so – like, you know, everyone says they need to get linebackers. I think safety is the depth piece there because they use their – safety. you know, they have four safeties on the field sometimes. So you need to make sure you have competent backups at all those positions. And then um, linebacker, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what they do with Cole. Uh, I haven't looked at any linebacker stuff in this year's draft, but I'm sure they can find somebody if they needed to. I would, I would think so. All right, look, uh, I gotta let you go, but the fact that you just told me you're gonna be at the Senior Bowl means I will, I will hunt you down and and get you to come talk to me. We could talk about things like Chris Harris leaving and what does that mean yeah. for the defense and maybe get into the Duran pain of it all in terms of what ha- you know. Do you need to do you need to keep him? And if so, then you know what about the money or do you use that money elsewhere? We'll, we'll do that. We'll do that later on. Uh, 
at little or it's not at it's not is it an ad on instagram i don't know logan underscore paulson 82 right there there you go plus (laughs) the take command podcast um over on the odyssey uh, group you do stuff obviously with the commanders on their website or the film breakdowns with smoother always a, a, a always a hoot i don't know <laughs> i don't know if you guys are doing those into the off season or not Yeah, we'll do, we'll do some of them yeah all right logan uh fantastic as always uh you know i'm gonna i'm gonna dig into that ucla w- life i don't believe you we're doing nothing but football the whole time get out of here um <laughs> i appreciate it man thanks so much yeah thanks man appreciate it buddy